You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 134. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I'd like to begin today by discussing the significance, if there is any, to the fact that This convert to Christianity is an Ethiopian eunuch. And there are two words to describe him, both as an Ethiopian and as a eunuch. What's the significance, Father, that the man in this story is Ethiopian? Yeah, great question, and one that is actually debated among scholars, primarily because this term Ethiopian, as it's translated into English, could have multiple meanings, and we can discuss those. But ultimately, as we'll see, we come to the same basic conclusion— as to its significance, regardless of the precise meaning we ascribe. Okay, so what are some of the possibilities of this term Ethiopian? Well, I tend to think the most likely is that the reference here is to a man from modern-day Ethiopia. It seems obvious to us, perhaps, at first glance, but I'll talk about why that might not be the case. And the reason that that may not be the case is because the term Ethiopian in Greek can generally refer to people with black skin. So the reference to this man as Ethiopian doesn't necessarily mean he's from Ethiopia proper. He could have been Egyptian or some other African man. Interestingly, the same is true for Cush, which is the Old Testament term used for Ethiopia. It also refers to blackness. The other thing to consider here is that Candace is actually a term associated with the female dynasty in Cush or Ethiopia. So Candace is not a proper name, as we may think. So yet again, there is some confusion about this because there is some evidence that among Greek speakers, that dynastic 
term, Candace, could refer more generally to any female royalty, or at least any female royalty among black people. So it's quite possible that the man was not Ethiopian, as we might think about it. But regardless, I think it's clear that this man was black-skinned, that he was African of some sort, and that as a eunuch, he would have been associated with some form of royalty or dynasty. And you said regardless of these two situations that you presented, whether or not this man is from Ethiopia proper or not, that the conclusions are basically the same as to the significance. So what then is the significance? Well, yeah, I think it's pretty clear the significance relates to the theme of the inclusiveness of the gospel. And I say this for a couple of different reasons. So first, it shows that black-skinned people are also included as part of God's plan. So this is extending by including black-skinned people. You're going well beyond the Roman Empire and the colors of people that are normally associated with Judaism. Second, then, just that geographical reach, again, going well beyond uh, the Roman Empire. And then the final thing to mention on this Ethiopian aspect is the relation, as I mentioned, to Cush in the Old Testament. Ethiopia and Cush are fairly definitively linked together. And this is important because in Psalm 68:31 we hear that Cush will quickly stretch out her hands to God. So it's likely that Luke is connecting this Ethiopian eunuch and his conversion to the gospel message to that psalm. Okay, so we see the significance in the Ethiopian as being connected to this prophecy in the Psalms, and we understand the inclusiveness of the gospel as being sent to all people, including people with black skin who were seen as quite different and foreign to the initial recipients of the gospel, the the Jews and Gentiles of Palestine and the Roman Empire. But what's the significance that the man in this story is also a eunuch? Eunuchs at the time of the gospel were usually servants, or often, I should say, servants in royal courts. And that's quite clearly the case here with the Ethiopian, because the story specifically mentions it with Candace. So eunuchs were often important figures because they often had the ear of the king or queen. And the reason that they were a eunuch often was because this sort of assured that they would never be able to start their own dynasty as a rivalry to the king or queen. So the fact that they had been castrated and therefore could not start a family, couldn't start a dynasty, uh, made them more trustworthy to the royals. Now, I think in terms of the biblical significance, there are two things to highlight. Probably most important is the fact that a eunuch would have been excluded from temple worship, and this prohibition stems from Deuteronomy 23.1. So Luke highlighting this man as a eunuch is yet another signal in the gospel that Jesus reconciles the religious outcasts to the community of God. And then the second thing worth mentioning is that the eunuch, again, would have no progeny. This was seen as a curse by most people of the time. However, in the New Testament community, there is a sense where not having children or choosing to live a celibate lifestyle is not frowned upon. Note, for example, how St. Paul chose celibacy. So again, we see the primary idea is that the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, is open to all people, including those who are generally outcast or frowned upon by the rest of society and even by uh, religious companions. Good, good. So I'd like to conclude today by discussing this encounter that Philip has with the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip meets this man, and the man is reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip asks the eunuch if he understands what he is reading. The eunuch replies, quote, How can I unless someone guides me? Father, would you discuss the 
importance of the understanding and interpretation of Scripture within the church versus uh, an individualistic uh, interpretation. Yeah, and it's a complex question, one that has really been brought into the focus and the forefront in our time due to an overwhelming number of Protestant denominations, many of whom claim to have the best interpretation of Scripture and or allow for people to interpret the Bible individually for themselves. And some even argue there can be multiple interpretations, even when it seems that those interpretations contradict one another or might contradict overall scriptural themes. And, and I think we can see from our perspective how that's problematic. But equally as problematic is how many Orthodox Christians often use this as a talking point, this idea of the church as the interpreter of scripture. And any time that we rely on talking points, I think we're relying on oversimplifications of complex topics. So in the case of many Orthodox, we have this tendency to stress the interpretation of Scripture within the life of the Church and oppose that to individual interpretation, which I agree can be extremely problematic. Yet, when you study Church history and dogma, you see how oversimplifying these arguments leads to problems in the big picture. And I'll get to that in just a second, but for now, let me cut to the chase. We should never allow the idea of the Church being the proper interpreter of Scripture to lead us to laziness in trying to understand the scriptures better ourselves or as an excuse to not read and study scripture on our own because that often seems to happen among Orthodox Christians. Yes, yeah, that certainly makes sense. So can you explain how simply relying on the church to interpret scripture for us can be problematic? Yes, so the church is a living organism, it's not static, and for the church to function properly, it means that not only the clergy, but also the laity must be actively engaged in understanding Scripture. This is the only way the church can properly safeguard Scripture. You see, there have always been heresies and and misinterpretations and bad interpretations within the church community itself. So let me give a few easy examples that I think all of us can understand. For the first four centuries of Christianity, there was no clear dogma on the Trinity. Even after you begin to have the formalization of that dogma at the first ecumenical council, and then even after the second ecumenical council, you have decades upon decades of arguments. And it all depended on who the emperor or the patriarch was at any given time for people to change what they thought the church taught or how the church interpreted scripture. Another example, you have iconoclasm. For decades after decades, you have this idea that icons are idols. Then that all changes with the Seventh Council. You have many Orthodox who were influenced by Western theology in more modern times and have taught things like original sin and transubstantiation. So depending on when and where you live, the, quote, church taught these things. So getting back to my original point, it's a gross oversimplification to say The church, quote, the church is the interpreter of Scripture. Who or what is the church? We can often only see this in the rearview mirror, and therefore we ought to learn and study Scripture. We ought to know exactly what it teaches so that we can be on guard against those who might corrupt its teaching from within. And in fact, this is the primary concern of the Bible. I find it so ironic that many Christians in our day are worried about society at large, the world at large. The primary concern in the Bible is with those who corrupt from within the community, those who externally appear to be part of God's community, but who teach a different message, or in our case, a different gospel. Now, to conclude, I would argue 
that the story of the Ethiopian eunuch is not making some broader point about the, quote, church and it being the proper interpreter of Scripture, but it's making the point that Philip needed to preach the gospel for this man to understand what he was reading in Isaiah. How could the man understand unless Philip had told him about the Messiah fulfilling that scripture? So the message is that we need to be sure to preach the gospel. Foreign nations and foreign peoples cannot possibly know the gospel unless it's brought and taught to them, and it cannot be brought or taught to them unless we learn it. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we began by examining the significance of the Ethiopian eunuch and his conversion to Christianity in our reading from Acts chapter 8. While there is debate among scholars, we can say that this man was black-skinned and that he came from Africa, and that as a eunuch, he was associated with some form of royalty or dynasty. This is significant because it highlights the inclusiveness of the gospel. The inclusion of this man extended well beyond the geographical reach of the Roman Empire, and as well as the color of the people who were traditionally associated with Judaism. Father Aaron also stressed that there is a connection to the prophecy found in Psalm 68 that mentions the region where this man was from, quote, will quickly stretch out her hand to God. And as a eunuch, the man would have been excluded from temple worship, nor would he have any progeny. This further illustrates the inclusive nature of the gospel in stark contrast to how this man would have been viewed as cursed by most people. We then turned to how best understand the church's role in interpreting scripture versus an individualistic approach. While the latter has proven to be very problematic within Protestant denominations, Orthodox Christians must be careful not to allow themselves to become lazy in their efforts to properly understand scripture. This laziness can lead us to a situation where reading and studying scripture does not hold any importance. And this is crucial in order for us to safeguard the scriptures both clergy and laity, as there have always been heresies from within the church community. And in fact, this is where the greatest danger lies, not from without, but from within the church. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God, O our God and our hope, glory.